if there's clear merits, then I think that there's a good case to be made that a PTAP proceeding is going to be more successful because the people that are evaluating that are patent experts. A jury is going to be more attracted to a story. Welcome to IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. Lane Hackman focuses his practice on post-grant proceedings before the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and related patent litigation, prosecution, and counseling matters. He regularly represents clients in inter-parties review and post-grant review proceedings before the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, with an emphasis on biotechnology and pharmaceutical technologies. Blaine, thanks for joining us. You joined Wolf Greenfield within the last year, and can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to Wolf and a bit about the firm's post-grant practice? What brought me to Wolf Greenfield is actually the post-grant practice. There are not many firms that have a dedicated post-grant group, and post-grant proceedings was an area that I was finding more and more of my practice gravitating towards, and also an area of practice that I actually really enjoyed. It combined a lot of the technical and scientific aspects, working with inventors, for example, in patent prosecution, with some of the interesting issues that you come up with legally at district court proceedings and litigation, but eliminates a lot of the issues that I didn't enjoy as much about those practices including, for example, in litigation to discovery battles. So it was an area that I wanted to really expand my practice. And it sort of was serendipitous that I had worked with some of the practitioners at Wolf Greenfield relating to a few petitions that Wolf Greenfield had filed. And that was with um, Charlie Steenberg and Ed Gates. And they did really an excellent job. And it was very clear that they were real experts in the area of post-grant proceedings. And around that time, I found out through a mutual acquaintance that Wolf Greenfield was looking for somebody who was interested in post-grant practice that had a life sciences background. And my background's in organic chemistry. I worked a lot in pharmaceuticals and a lot of my practice has also been in biotechnology. So it just was a serendipitous timing. I wasn't really looking to go anywhere, but when I met with the folks at Wolf, I think there was really excellent chemistry, so to speak, uh, between the team that Wolf had and me. And they were just such experts in the field of post-grant proceedings, just for context. So I think now we're on, on the order of about 250 petitions where Wolf Greenfield has had a role either on the petitioner side or the patent owner side. And that was probably on the order of uh, five times what the former firm I was at was having. So it was an opportunity to work more on post-grant proceedings, but also having that internal expertise is really uh, excellent. And we meet weekly, go over ideas, exchange thoughts and practice tips. And so if you're doing post-grant practice, I think there's hardly a better firm to be an attorney at. So Blaine, when an issue arises, companies often face a choice, jury trial or post-grant. Can you explain both options? Yeah. So I'll explain this from the perspective of the patent challenger. So if you're a patent owner, your real choice If you want to get an infringement action, for example, a preliminary injunction or damages, your only option is really a jury trial. But traditionally, on the patent challenger side, your main option was to try and do what's called a declaratory judgment, which is you bring an action uh, for declaratory judgment in a district court, and you have to be able to show that you have standing. So there has to be a case or controversy. You have to, um, for example, have some sort of significant threats that you've been infringing a patent. Um, and then you can bring that action in the declaratory judgment form to basically ask the trial court to say, I'd uh, be a jury often, that you don't infringe the patent or the patent's invalid or both. 
And so that was the traditional way you had to go. And if you didn't have standing or you couldn't prove standing, then you wouldn't be able to go to declaratory judgment. Now, with a post-grant proceeding, anybody can file a post-grant proceeding subject to a few statutes that govern the time in case you are sued, for example, you have a limited amount of time to commence a, a post-grant action. But anybody can file them. For example, a declaratory judgment action is usually heard by a jury, sometimes on the bench by a judge. Usually, though, regardless of whether it's the judge or obviously the jury, they're not going to have necessarily a technical background or even a patent law background in order to assess your claim. So it's done by sort of more of lay people. Whereas uh, in the Patent Trial Appeal Board, you have experts in patent law. There are people who usually practice in patent law and have advanced technical degrees often. And then the timing. A trial before a jury, is, there's going to be extensive discovery. There's going to be uh, expert discovery. There's going to be the jury trial, as well as there'll be briefing of issues during this whole process. And you don't really know the timing. Typically, a district court case will last three years, more or less, depending on where you're, you have your action. Whereas the by statute, a PTAB proceeding is limited to 18 months and discovery is limited to really expert discovery on a practical way. There can be some other discovery, but really it's very, very limited. So the cost can be tremendously different. If you look at a district court, you're looking at millions, uh, whereas a PTAB proceeding, typically you're going to be below a million. And that'll obviously depend on the subject matter and the complexity of the case and, and some other procedural things. But it's much more limited in terms of the scope. So it is a very different way to challenge a patent. So for biotech and pharma companies, choosing the right path is, is crucial. I was going to ask you, gee, why are the stakes so high? But I would imagine part of it is just the length that you go through in a jury trial. And are there other factors as well that come into play? A lot of it is, um, if you're on the challenger side, it's likelihood of success. And statistically, before the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, the likelihood that you're going to succeed if you're challenging a patent is quite a bit higher than district court. That, that partly is due to, uh, in a district court, there's a presumption of patent validity. So the patent's presumed valid unless the challenger can show by clear and convincing evidence that the patent is uh, invalid, for example. Whereas at the PTAB in a post-grant proceeding, there's no presumption of validity. And the standard for, of proof, if you're challenging a patent, is preponderance of evidence. So what's the difference between clear and convincing in district court and preponderance in a PTAB setting? Preponderance is like 51-49, or some people say, like, if you have the scales of justice, if you just put a feather on the scale, that is enough to sort of tip the scale. So it's not, a, not as that, that high of a uh, burden. Whereas clear and convincing, it's not as high as beyond a reasonable doubt that we hear in criminal court. But it's pretty high. It's somewhere between the preponderance and, and the um, reasonable doubt. So some people say like 80-20 or something like that, if, if we're going to give it percentages. So it's a pretty big difference. So, so from a statistical standpoint, as your challenger, you may find a better forum in the PTAB. And there's also you know, cost considerations. It's much more expensive. You know, maybe in biotech pharma, it's not as uh, big of a consideration. But I, I think the, the biggest thing is success rate. And that's where I think it'd be valuable for a lot of a lot of life sciences company to really maybe give a closer look at the PTAB, because if you're challenging a patent, really just your likelihood of succeeding in the in the barriers to succeeding are generally lower in the PTAB than they are in district court. Now, has it become more difficult for companies to claim newly discovered life sciences, technologies or improvements to existing technologies? I don't know if it's more difficult. It's changed. As I noted earlier, these issues of patent eligibility 
and uh, patentability, like what you have to show in terms of written description and enable and support in order to get a broad claim, those have become much more restrictive. So I think from the perspective of being able to pro- like get a really broad claim, there is certainly a, a greater challenges facing life sciences company than it used to be. But in terms of claiming a specific technology, if you have a structure or a compound, things like that, even in a genus of compounds, meaning that you have you know class, like compounds with specific maybe structural core, and you look at what ways you can uh, modify the compounds, derivatize the compounds, so you can kind of kind of go to a class of compounds attached to a specific, specific core. There's still a lot of opportunity to get claims in that respect. Now, you mentioned a little earlier, one factor that companies need to do is sort of evaluate the likelihood of success before a proceeding. What are some of the factors that go into play there for making that evaluation? I think the biggest thing is evaluating the merits. And, you know, if, if there's strong merits, if there's clear merits that are going to come out in a you know, on the papers where you can really make a good case using expert evidence for why a patent, for example, is, is um, invalid, then I, I think that there's a good case to be made that a PTAP proceeding is going to be more successful because the people that are evaluating that are patent experts, they're going to look at the papers, they're going to be diving into technology, they'll really understand things more likely than a jury. A jury is going to be more attracted to a story. And this is probably one of the reasons why patent owners have a lot more success, aside from the issues that we were talking about earlier that related to just the burdens that you have to get over if you're challenging a patent in district court. But if you're a jury, you're going to be attracted to a story because you don't have the technical background or the patent law background to necessarily be able to evaluate and really get deep into the subject matter. You're going to look at who tells the best story. And a lot of times inventors have great stories (laughs) for how they invented something. And the other thing is, you know, you have this government issued document with a ribbon on it. You know, it's sort of almost cliche when patent lawyers talk about this, but I think it does matter is if the jury's going to think, well, there's this presumption of evidence, somebody from the government who's an expert in this field already evaluated it, who am I to uh, get in the way of of this decision or change this decision? So the, the sort of storytelling aspect of it and this kind of government sign off aspect of it, it means that you're, and, and as well as the higher burden of proof, means you're facing pretty big headwinds if you're challenged a patent, whereas those headwinds are not really the same in the PTAB. That being said, if you don't have a strong patentability position, the PTAB's probably going to see through that too. Or if you don't do a good job presenting it, you, you still have to present it in a way that it's clear to the uh, to the board. But I think in most cases, you'll if you have a, a reasonably good reason for challenging the patent, a basis for challenging the claims, odds of success are just going to be higher uh, in the in the PTAB. If at all, how have post-grant proceedings changed in recent years? They've changed a lot. The biggest thing has to do with what's called discretionary denial. So a few years ago, the Supreme Court basically said at the institution stage, so, so a PTAB proceeding goes in two stages. First, you, somebody files a petition. There's a preliminary response from the patent owner. And within about six months from the initial petition, just filed, the board will make this thing called an institution decision. And the institution decision, basically, if they deny institution, the proceeding's over. And there's really no recourse in terms of in front of the PTAB for the patent challenger anymore. They can't appeal it. It's completely the discretion of the board. And so there, the patent owners have the best shot. If you're going to succeed as a patent owner in a PTAB proceeding, you want to get knocked out early. If you get to the institution stage, then you go through what's called a trial. So What's actually happened, however, at the PTAB where this is going is 
the institution stage, what's needed to institute has changed a lot and it's sort of changed and then changed again. <laughs> so what I mean by that is at the institution stage, it's just not appealable. What the board can do is they can use what's called discretionary factors. For example, some of these factors include, you know, we've already, the examiner already evaluated these same arts and arguments or, or you know, equivalent arts and arguments. Or uh, another issue is, you know, if you file serial petitions, you know, you already have your one shot. So those are two areas where the board has really exercised discretion denying a lot of petitions. And then the, a third one was if there's a concurrent district court action going on, this one was big. If the district court action had some likelihood of coming to a conclusion before the, the PTAB action, and the PTAB action is dictated by statute, so it's pretty clear when it'll end, then the board would often pass and say, you know what, you're, you're already in the district court. We don't need to cumulatively do this. It's a waste of resources. And so that was a, a reason to deny a lot of petitions, particularly when the previous director of the patent office came on. And so that was in about 2018. Well, when they had a change of presidential administrations and there was a new director, there have been, a, a, particularly for those concurrent district court cases, there's been a rethinking or a reorganization in terms of how the board thinks of these institution decisions, at least with respect to these discretionary factors. And there's a lot less, you know, the discretionary denials, particularly for these concurrent district court proceedings, have plummeted because now the board looks at the merits before they go into the discretionary issue, at least with respect to the concurrent district court. So there, there's been a big change in terms of the institution rates, you know, beginning to go back up a little bit. And the, the, like, the amount you have to worry about the other district court action occurring. So that's one way. The other way is there's this new director review, which is where the director, if there's a particularly compelling reason, you could either ask for director review or the director will sua sponte. So a director will on their own see an issue and say, you know what, I need to weigh in on this. Either I need to uphold what the board has done, the panel has done, or I need to ask for more briefing or I need to uh, reverse a decision. And so... And that way, the directors become way more active in decision making. And so that's affected, you know, for example, the, the going back for asking for rehearing, you know, normally there was no likelihood that you'd be successful. Maybe now there'll be more chances of success for the board to reconsider decisions. And so those are, there's just been kind of constant change in the PTAB, really, in the particularly, I'd say the last five years, that the rate of the pace of change is even accelerating. Can you explain or talk a little bit about the role that expert testimony plays in these cases? Expert testimony is the most critical piece of uh, these cases. There's no fact, as I mentioned earlier, there's no uh, fact discovery, really, for most cases. So you don't have these inventor testimony. You don't have fact witnesses who, who might be infringers or something like that. You don't have these other issues relating to the patent. Uh, it really comes down to the both sides experts and the type of evidence and the way that an expert is able to establish whether or not a person with ordinary skill in the art would have found, for example, a claim obvious. So expert testimony, having a, a, a good qualified expert that is able to really credibly put together arguments and a supporting declaration is this at the center of a PTAB proceeding. What's a little less important, and actually we're having a discussion this, about this in the post-grant group, is with a jury trial, again, the storytelling is a really big deal. And you want an expert that can also tell a story from a technical perspective, how the story is, how they appear on the stand. You know, are they nervous? Are they confident? Are they credible? Their, their body language, what they look like, how they talk. These things matter a lot. The impression they leave on a jury will matter a lot in a jury trial, but it doesn't really matter in a PTAB 
proceeding because the expert's not going to live testify before the board. There'll be a transcript. Things look a lot more, a lot less, I should say, interesting in the transcript. You know, how the, the expert is presenting himself or herself isn't going to really weigh into the thinking of the board. And so it really is more about, you know, you don't have to have the most famous Nobel Prize winning expert in the world in a PTAP case, as long as the expert's credible. And that's really the most critical part of it is, is just making sure that you have a credible expert and that you put good arguments and support your petition or your, your patent owner arguments with expert testimony. Blaine, have you seen companies miss opportunities because they were too cautious? Absolutely. I think particularly in the life sciences, this is an issue where there's a lot at stake at any one life science patent. You can have a patent that could cover a product worth billions of dollars a year. And there's often reluctance if you're on the on the challenger side or if you're accused of infringing, there's a concern that you'll a failure at the PTAB and that that will really handicap your your chances. And the PTAB, you know, there isn't whereas the district court litigation is very ranging and broad, wide, and it goes on for years, a PTAB proceeding, if things don't go well, you're going to find out in a relatively short time period they haven't gone well. And so I think it, it makes a lot of life sciences people hesitate. There was one example I was reading about, I don't want to give too much details about, but there was a verdict of over $100 million in a life sciences case. And I kind of looked at this case and I wondered if they they did file a, a PTAB uh, petition, but it looked like they held some arguments back under a different statute that they could uh, make in district court, where they had some opportunity where they could have potentially, it looks like, made some of these arguments. And they they lost the jury trial. And so I think that that's evidence that the odds of success in a PTAB are greater. And yes, you find out more quickly if you lose. Uh, It can raise the stakes maybe or seem to raise the stakes by making a decision much more imminent. But the same way, it just from the perspective of you have strong arguments and you're challenging a patent, it may not play in front of the jury because of the storytelling aspect. And so if, if you're worried about that, that storytelling expert hurting aspect hurting you and you have a good technical reasons, you have good patent law reasons, I think that there, that you, it, it, you're more likely to do well if you're willing to take the risk before the PTAB, if you have good arguments. I think you have to look at the big picture and the likelihood of success. And um you know, no, no proceeding is bulletproof. You, you have this risk of losing any proceeding that you're in, an adversary proceeding. But I think if you're challenged a patent, the odds, and you have good arguments, the odds are just much more favorable. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like baseball, right? The, the sabermetrics, the statistics, it's changed the way the game is played. And I, I think I would urge in-house practitioners to look at things a little bit more objectively. Now, if companies go the post-grant route, are there potential implications for future legal proceedings? Yeah. And so I think this is one of the reasons that people get a little bit nervous about it uh, is this issue called estoppel. At the PTAM, if you go all the way to final written decision, which means you get your, the petition is instituted and there's a final written decision. It goes all the way to a final decision. And if you're the petitioner, you challenge the patent and you lose, then you're not allowed to raise any arguments that you did raise or could have raised. This is big. Reasonably could have raised at the PTAM. So if you could have reasonably, you know, for example, if you're deciding maybe you have three or four really good arguments, but you only have enough room for maybe two of the three arguments uh, in your paper and you lose on those two, you know, what you thought were your two best arguments, but you still have this third argument. You're like, actually, maybe in retrospect, this was my best argument. I should have gone with that argument. You may not be able to raise that in district court. You might be out of luck because you reasonably could have raised it and you made the decision not to raise it. And so that's a big risk. And I think that does weigh on a lot of practitioners. But I still think if you look at the overall, if you have good arguments, the likelihood of success, I think you have to look at at overall what's the route 
most likely to give a good outcome. And I think there's a good case if you have strong merits that as a challenger, your your better route is before the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. So at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned the strength of Wolf Greenfield's post-grant practice, I assume in 2023 and beyond, it'll even get stronger. I absolutely think so. Yeah, I think we got a great group uh, and the knowledge base is incredible. And it's one of the, and I think it's a great place to work too. That's the other thing that I didn't mention earlier. I think that one of the things that's really important to the group is not just the quantity of work doing a lot of these, it's the quality and making sure that we get the best possible service to our clients. And so that's really at the core of what the group does. And I think why they've been so successful. Uh, if you compare the stats that we have compared to other groups, the, the rate of success is really astonishing. And it's not a small sample size, it's a big sample size. So I think Wolf Greenfield's one of the best groups that you can go to. And we're not gonna push anybody to do a post-grant proceeding if we don't think it's the right choice. Our thanks to Blaine Hackman for joining us here on this episode of IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. We hope you'll subscribe to our series of conversations related to IP matters on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on legal matters related to IP, we invite you to visit our website at www.wolfgreenfield.com. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield.